Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Thoroughly appreciated. And uh, we just have to take the time to appreciate this funky theme song. Music by previous guest Neil Brooks, who has a new song out called Hidden Shadows in the Midst that you can check out on neilbrooks.bandcamp.com. That's I before E in that Neil. Fun episode in store for you today. We have a cartoonist, our first cartoonist. Her name is Emily Flake, and you've seen her work in The New Yorker and Mad Magazine, among other places. And we talk about how she got into cartooning and her process. Here's my chat with Emily Flake. I grew up in Manchester, Connecticut, which is two towns east of Hartford, Connecticut. Um, mm-hmm. There is no reason anyone would have heard of it. <laughs> but you're in Brooklyn like like me. I am. Now, how did Not too far from you, in fact. Yeah, that's true. Now, we both made our move here through, for, I assume, for Creative Ventures. Is, is that what it was for you, at least? Oh, absolutely. I was living in Chicago. I went to school in Baltimore. And then I was living in Chicago for uh, a little over four years and just kind of spinning my, I just couldn't seem to really get any traction. And I realized like, if I don't, you know, if I don't go to where things are happening, then nothing is going to happen for me. Um, so this was in 2004 and um, mm-hmm. I moved here in January, 2004. Wow. Well, you've done the stretch. I've, I've only been here three years, yeah. so that's nothing compared to you. I'm, Super old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm. I think we're around the same age. So, <laughs> uh, and I still just came here only three years ago. But right. <laughs> so you're. I've not had a cartoonist on the podcast before, so I'm super excited mm-hmm. to talk to you about that. How did you find your way into that? Obviously, I mean. Uh, a lot of people when they come on here, you might ask. You know, I might ask. How did you get into this? And they didn't get into it until after college. But I would imagine mm-hmm. you being a cartoonist that you were drawing from very young. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I went to art school for illustration. Um, and as far as cartooning goes, it, it I sort of fell into it backwards, even though in <laughs> retrospect, the path is clear, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to, like write books and be a comedian, um, which is honestly something I had forgotten was my life goal until I was helping my parents clean out their, um, their, uh, basement. And I found like this essay I had written when I was nine saying exactly that, 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 that was my intention as a grown up was to write some books to be a comedian, which I said was feminine for comedian. And, um, so when I went to art school, you know, my focus was, was illustration, but I found that, you know, I got better reception if my stuff was funny. Um, and so I kind of started leaning into, into that aspect of myself. Oh, wow. 
And here we are, basically. <laughs> what did you love growing up, comedy-wise? Um, so I love the one of the first. It's funny because the very first things I remember seeing and loving um, were like you know Gay Wilson and Edward Gorey. Um, and my parents, um, would leave nationally, I'm sorry, national lampoon, uh, mm-hmm. lying around every once in a while, uh, which, you know, I was way too young to read, but I did anyway. And, um, I absolutely loved Sherry Flanagan, who I was not old enough to be reading. Um, but I, I loved that growing up. And then like, I remember when I was maybe 13 or 14, you remember the MTV half hour comedy hour? Yeah. So I can't find this anywhere but i swear to god it exists um there was a mtv half hour comedy hour like live from daytona beach and janine garofalo was on it Mm -hmm. and she did some jokes um about uh gerardo and the crowd just like turned on her and she was basically just like you know middle fingers up guns blazing like you all can go to hell and i was just watching this like riveted i was like uh, (laughs) like this is like this is everything I want in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was one of the '90s heroes in comedy. Honestly, oh, it, for sure. She she really did go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like everybody else, you know, like one of the very first things I remember loving was, um, you know, the Steve Martin uh, comedy, like you know, King Tut and the whole <laughs> and the whole nine yards. I, right. I I stole that record from my parents and like you know tacked up the gatefold on my wall. <laughs> And obviously, you grew up with a love for Mad Magazine. You had to have uh, being into oh, the stuff absolutely. you're in. That's, uh, yeah. that's so. It's really cool that you've contributed to Mad Magazine uh, as a, um, as a professional. It, it is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's fantastic. I'm very very like thrilled that I got the chance to work with them, and it was like one of the like best professional experiences of my life. They like the staff. Um, that was there when they were still in New York was like, like the nicest human beings you would ever want to meet. Um, so yeah, I feel like I got really, really lucky in that sense. Let's talk about how that ended up happening. Um, so Um, what is your journey into, uh, starting to get real gigs with, uh, with cartooning and illustration? So as far as illustration goes, um, I started, so when I, when I was in school, I started, I was in school in Baltimore and I started like coming up to New York whenever I could and showing my portfolio around. Like I would just like, you know, I would go to newsstands and I would write down, um, all the masthead information I could find, like who's the art director, who's the creative director, Mm -hmm. like, you know, their addresses and everything. And I would, and at that time, you know, magazines still had like, portfolio review days mm-hmm. um so you could go in and show your stuff um and so i would just call and be like hey do you have a portfolio review day and if they did i would come up and try to show my work and then when i moved to chicago i would come out here you know whenever i could um to do exactly that and i got my first assignment my first illustration assignment like right when i was graduating school from a magazine called juxtapose mm-hmm. um and um uh, wait, was it juxtaposed? Never mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, you know, so I was I I was getting assignments here and there. I was an intern at the Baltimore City Paper, which was the Alt Weekly um, in Baltimore at the time. And you know, I was getting work, but not it certainly wasn't enough to live on. Like you know, I 
when I was in Chicago, I had a series of, of, you know, extremely boring day jobs. And then I waitressed for a while. Um, and then I worked at a rugged distributor, which ended up being part of what sort of slingshot me into New York is that, well, uh, you know, I worked for this record distributor, but then when I moved to New York, um, I worked as an ad sales rep, which I was super bad at. And then, but then, um, a label and distributor called Caroline called me and asked if I would like to come in for an interview. And I got that job. Um, and that was my last day job. I worked there for, I think about a year and a half. Um, and then when I was working there, because I, you know, I had moved to New York and I was really able to kind of, you know, insert myself more into what was, you know, the scene in terms of uh, cartooning and illustration, um, I started making more money off freelancing. And for about six months, I was like, okay, I'm only going to live off my freelance income and I'm going to put away all the money I'm making from my day job. So I did that. And then, so when I quit, I had sort of proven to myself that I could, you know, sort of, I could make a living off of what I was doing. And I had like a little bit of money in the, so that is good. I also blew through that like almost immediately, but <laughs> <laughs> This is a very long answer. I'm so no, sorry. this is a great answer. I mean, there's a lot of hustling in there and a lot of yeah. also just like forethought and intelligence, you know, just like I'm going to put this money aside <laughs> and and work right. off, you know, live off of this other money here. And uh, real uh, smart way you, to do that's it. Like, dude, that's like the only time I have been fiscally responsible in my life. I am <laughs> not good with money, um, which and like I... You know, I have never had enough of a cushion to be as shitty with money as I am. It's just like uh, a mental disability. <laughs> it's well, really it's everyone bad. has that, I feel like. Yeah, well, especially if you freelance, you know, because there's only so, like, so much planning you can do. You never know what your income is going to be, uh, you know, right. in any given quarter. So, um, yeah, that's what I tell myself anyway. <laughs> it is not my fault. <laughs> well... During that time, I mean, uh, I mean, that would have, I guess, was that early 2000s or mid 2000s when you were uh, hustling and, and finding, you know, looking at the mastheads and finding who the art, artistic mm-hmm. directors were? Um, exactly. Yeah. I graduated school in 99. Um, so, okay. you know, from then to I quit my day job in 2006. So we're, what's the difference now with trying to hustle in that way? Like if there's someone who wants to do the kind of work that you're doing, you know, wants to be an illustrator or cartoonist, is it easier or harder to make that kind of hustle work? Man, it's such a completely different landscape. You know, yeah. I mean, the things that are available now in terms of platforms and in terms of exposure are so like, completely different mm-hmm. um that i have more to learn from somebody who's in their early 20s right now than they do from me um huh. how, be, and just it, because it, of how people uh get through like get work now like what in what terms is do you say that I mean, I think in terms of like print media, I would imagine that, you know, the process is still fairly the same. You know, it's like, you know, you you try to get in touch with an art director, you email them, you send postcards, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like, you know, curating an Instagram feed or finding uh-huh. other venues, et cetera, et cetera, like, you know, the kids who were born to this, I think, understand how to use the Internet much better than, than I do. I see. Um, I think there's a lot more opportunity 
in terms of, you know, there are there are more forms of outlets, but there's a lot less opportunity in terms of print, obviously, and there is a lot less like you there's a lot less expectation of getting paid, which mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's um I don't know. It's a whole it's a it's a very different thing now. Um yeah. and yeah, like I said, I feel like the kids understand it better than I do. I can see that with the social media stuff particularly. Um mm-hmm. you know, all yeah, all the sure. there it seems like there's a new one that's getting hip every week or something. That's obviously not true, but you know, like it mm-hmm. it changes so drastically. Um I was going to say too that like they also sort of understand like different methods of of hustling. Um that you know, when you know the the kids who fi- figure out a way to translate like a big Instagram following into Patreon or something like that, you know, I mean, like that's you know that is it's it's I don't think it is replacing the industry that was, but it mm-hmm. at least allows one to carve out like a little bit more of a handhold in this giant fucking cliff face that we're all clinging to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely it's a, it's a almost scary landscape because it is harder to find ways to make money now because Mm -hmm. there's so much out there and certain things just don't pay at all or some of the things that do pay pay very little at least that that's how it is for uh, actors and comedians it seems (laughs) uh yeah oh for sure yeah it's no fun (laughs) it's no fun but and that's the thing it's like you have to find you have to have the, like, multiple streams of income game. You know, you can't mm-hmm. oh. only look at the one thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am not good enough at any one thing to only do one thing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I'm i a cartoonist primarily, but, you know, I also illustrate and I write. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was lucky enough to have a book come out um, last year, a few months ago. Um, I teach. I do, you know, I... I do a stand-up and also sort of like a form of stand-up that involves cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, I do every, you know anything and everything I can, honestly, just right. to keep you know every possible stream. Um, I mean, of income and also just of like artistic fulfillment open. So right, um, yeah. But you know, but, but across the board, I think with everything, um, the idea of of getting paid is is more and more uh fraught you know and mm-hmm. i feel like there's a well if it's like what you love to do then the money shouldn't matter i'm like fuck you <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know people, people who say that don't have uh, uh kids to feed or something I, I, right <laughs> exactly or they have trust funds or they have you know like right. it's like that is such unbelievably backwards thinking that right. um yeah we could you could do a whole episode just on that for sure. And, you know, and I've heard people, yeah. and it makes sense, but I have heard, you know, like Elizabeth Gilbert say that, you know, we shouldn't put too much pressure on our art to be the thing that sustains us. But, you know, mm-hmm. if there are multiple things kind of in the same wheelhouse of, say, media or entertainment that you can do then you still are kind of looking for your passion or your art to be the thing that sustains you. And, you know, you have to do so in order to do it at all. You have to do so much of Mm -hmm. it 
to sort of, uh, you know, keep your head above board with it or to just like do the stuff you want to do that to also have mm-hmm. a day job in order to pay the bills while you do all of these other things is kind of unsustainable and unrealistic. Yeah. You know, you have yeah. to do all the different uh, things. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's a danger in doing something just for the money. That's not, right. that's not fulfilling, but, right. you know, I think it is, it, it's the lesser of two evils in terms of being expected to put your heart and soul into something that isn't, going to keep your soul attached to your fucking body right 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 it's tough you know and i mean certain Mm -hmm. if you have a passion you want to do that you want to do it and you want to focus on it in such a way that you continue to get better at it i don't know how some people have some of the major crazy schedules that they maintain like you know some of these uh, uh super famous people in business or in entertainment they have like crazy schedules and i have no idea how they sustain it i guess they have help right exactly massive (laughs) amounts of help you know like they don't do their own chores or pick up their own kid from school or cook Mm. their own you know what i mean like they have they outsource i would imagine like every aspect of their life that they can you know yeah that's Um, probably true i mean they I don't know. Like uh, there was some time when like Mark Wahlberg's daytime daily schedule came out, and it's like waking up at four a.m. and stuff like that. And it's like, what? <laughs> Who has the energy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somebody whose job it is to have that energy. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, and again, he has people doing his scheduling for him and doing all the other shit that like we all spend 80 hours a week on. Right, right. right. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, you know, nevertheless, uh, you know, we're still doing a bunch of things on our own, even if uh, we don't mm-hmm. have their schedule. And you're doing all these things that you mentioned that you uh, uh, do these live shows. Let's talk about your performances for a bit. So when did live performing come into the fold for you? So that happened actually like right before I moved to New York. Um, uh, John Hodgman emailed me and he was doing a thing called uh, Little Great Books um, at Galapagos in Brooklyn at the time. And mm-hmm. it was basically like a variety show kind of thing. And he's like, do you want to do something for this? So I kind of came up with this, um, you know, amusing slideshow, cartoon slideshow lecture. Um, and I did it and I, I found it immensely fun. Um, and then when I moved here, I started doing those, you know, more often and really enjoying them. But at the time, mostly seeing them as like a way to get more illustration work. Uh, and it took me a really long time to realize, like, I just like doing them because I like doing them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so over the past few years, I've been, you know, tacking harder in that direction, um, and just kind of doing anything that will get me up on a stage, honestly, because like, I mean, and that's something that I could say that I do mainly to feed my soul and my artistic practice because, you know, there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of money in that. Right. Um, but it is not just fun. It really motivates me in every other aspect of of what I do. Um, so, you know, I, I do a bit of this, like, straight stand-up with no pictures, and then, like, um, I have a whole thing where, I, like, I do sort of bits in between showing comics, um, I have a monthly interview show that I do called Nightmares, where I and my co-host talk to people about like their worst nightmares, and then I give them a picture I've I've drawn of their nightmare. That's fun. Um, and yeah, so um, I hesitate to call myself 
a comedian because I have not paid those dues in that way. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I like to get on stage and tell jokes. <laughs> right. I understand. And did you mention John Hodgman? Mm-hmm. How do you know him? How did you meet him? I don't know how, you know, I think you might have seen, because I had a strip that ran in all weeklies for uh, a decade plus called Lulu 8-Ball. Mm-hmm. And I think he might have seen either Lulu or some longer thing that I had done. Um, but, you know, he was running this this lecture series, and this was, like, well before he was a famous person. So, like, you know, he would just have these awesome, like, you know, nights of, like, it was like a monthly thing with, like, writers and comedians and actors and anybody who just wanted, like, wanted to do something, like, fun on stage. And it was, I don't know, it was a lower stakes time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's so cool. And, yeah, so that's how we met. Oh, cool. You were saying you don't necessarily consider yourself a comedian because you haven't paid those dues, but you, with your comic strips, are writing jokes. Is that, do you not consider that a form of, I I would consider that uh, enough of a form of of presenting comedy that you could refer to yourself as a comedian. Well, thank you. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, no, I have been practicing joke craft in a very serious way, you know, for for 20 years. So, yeah, I think that that's that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about your joke writing and joke crafting. Um, What have you Mm -hmm. learned about joke crafting uh, specifically in terms of cartooning and you know being being a comic strip artist because it's it's very interesting the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's you know I feel like the process starts in the same way with just about anything, which is basically just you know thinking about the things that you think about regularly and trying to push the idea or aspects of the idea further and weirder or marry it to something else or, you know, just tweak it in such a way that it surprises and delights you. So whether or not that's something that you like, like a really thought out idea of like um, how you feel about politics or parenting or something like that and finding an interesting um, angle on that. Or if it's, I mean, honestly, I have come up with gags by just sitting down and like writing down words and doing like brainstorm trees. So that's mm. a total, like just about the dumbest stuff. Like, you know, I had one about horses um, that I ended up getting a, a gag out of. Um, so yeah, I think the, the, the key of it is like, you know, per- perspective and juxtaposition mm-hmm. um, I would say are, are two of the main, like, you know, nubs of that craft as far as, as I'm concerned. And also, according to many, many books I have read on the subject. Right. And when it comes to writing a standard joke uh, and stand up, a set up punchline sort of joke, uh, you know, there is that clear, like, here's the topic, here's the angle on that topic, and then Mm -hmm. expressing that in a clear way. And then you get to the punchline or joke and you're setting up an an anticipation from the audience. How does that translate when it's a cartoon? I mean, obviously, some of uh, the. Major part of that setup is what you draw. So uh, that when you're taking that joke, and I assume the joke that you've written comes first, and then you draw something 
to match what you need it to match. Is that the process? For me, yes. Um, there are a lot of cartoonists who draw first and kind of use that as their entry point. Um, mm. I have always written first. Um, and also, I think that a lot of my drawing is more like my people and the things that in my picture frame are kind of more like puppets and sets delivering my joke. Right, um, okay. There are there are other art, there are better artists who like are really able to um you know that the humor is is suffused in the entire picture or you know yeah, like, like it's far more side. of a visual joke yeah you know, yeah Farside's exactly. a good example um, like, yeah um but uh um and ideally you know ideally the joke is um is is not purely visual like inextricable from the visual. And I would say I hit that every once in a while, but for the most part, I'm kind of delivering one-liners and I'm a much more economical writer in terms of like when I write for gag cartoons and when I write for stand up or obviously like, you know, essays or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, uh, if, well, I guess in, in one sense, you know, you are setting up like, you know, the premise and the world in the picture frame and then undercutting it with the, with the caption. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess you could argue that like that is all, even if it's just like um, a set and puppets, it's still important to, to having that joke land. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find the, that the processes of writing for all that really start in much the same way though. When you have a joke and you're saying, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to draw. So, I can have these these things and puppets basically tell my joke. What sort of process do you have to go through to make sure that you get the right imagery for your joke? Um, I want it to read clearly. Um, I want it to like. I want it to help deliver the joke as as cleanly as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I want it to be a, a pleasing image. Like you know, I want it to. I want the drawing to have sort of an, an, a harmony to it, mm-hmm. um, and I and ideally not look too stiff or too awkward. Um, I think there's you know there's obviously like a range of if you just even take New Yorker cartoons there's like a range of, of styles and and technical ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of my favorite ones are the ones where it's not like tightly or beautifully rendered like Leanna Fink or Edward Steed or you know James Thurber. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things always, you know, the imagery always reads and it all, it's always like very immediate um, and leaves you some room to kind of like, you know, put your own, put your own feelings into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not, there are some really beautiful, like very lyrical um, draftsmen, like, you know, Liam Walsh or Will McPhail. And I think like they're beautiful, they're such beautiful drawers. Um and they're one of the few that, like, I feel I can get away with, like, a really beautifully rendered drawing. I don't love beautifully rendered drawing in terms of jokes. It's great in terms of, like, narrative, graphic narrative, but in jo- for jokes, it's not my thing. I see. Who are some of your favorite comic strip uh, creators and comic strips before you got into it? Before I got into it... Um, I was a huge Linda Berry fan, mm. um, and I still am a huge Linda Berry fan. Um... Ivan Brunetti, uh, Chris Ware. I'm trying to think back of like before I was really 
doing this and those you know those were those are people that I remember having liked for like a, a very very long time mm-hmm. um and in terms of I mean like everything has that's another landscape that has changed like so much in the past like you know 20 25 years is that like cartooning has has like blossomed and flourished in such a huge way um but uh, I would say that like my biggest influences in terms of like in terms of cartooning were definitely like Linda Berry, Sherry Flanagan, um Gay and Wilson, Edward Gorey, many others I am forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah, it was just interesting to hear. Like, uh, you know, sometimes it's just interesting to know who inspired someone. What it, about all of their work or, or just different things that in, that you loved uh, inspired you? Um, the style, the content. You know, I mean, like Linda Berry really, like, you know, spoke to me on a real heart to heart level. Um, mm-hmm. I was really drawn in by her, by both her drawing and by just like you know, the world and characters and the feeling of like, mm. you know, of, of like being understood by it. Um, you know, Sherry Flanagan, I feel like laid an indelible sort of foundation of, of raunch in me that I am <laughs> grateful for. Gay um, Wilson was just so like delightfully weird. I feel like it worked me in the best way possible to have seen that when I was a kid. And like, and, you know, Edward Gore just being like the spooky genius that he is. Um, you know, I think it, all of them really just sort of like pulled me in and showed me a world that was like, you know, possible and interesting and something that I, I really wanted to, to explore and, and live in. That's great. Did you ever get to meet any of them? Oh yeah. Um, I, uh, I met Gail, Gail Wilson died recently, which is just very sad that, you know, um, I met him when I first started going to the offices and I told him like, you know, you're one of the reasons I became a cartoonist. And he looked at me, he goes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And, um, I, you know, from living in Chicago, I met Chris Ware from time to time. He's an incredibly nice person. Um, I met Linda Berry glancingly, but like, I'm honestly scared. I'll just like fangirl out all over her. Um, <laughs> and Sherry Flanagan wrote an introduction to um, one of my Lulu eight ball collections. And I just wrote an introduction for her book. So oh, that's um, wonderful. So that makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, Mimi Pond too. I loved and loved Mimi Pond. Um, she was uh, like a real like trailblazer in terms of lady comics. And she is awesome. Awesome. And, you got to work at a bunch of different publications. Uh, I mean, if it has uh, Time in the name, that you've you've done some stuff there because <laughs> the New York Times and Time, um, also Mad right. Magazine. Now, what was the work that you mm-hmm. did in Mad Magazine? Was it your comic strip being presented in Mad Magazine, or was it kind of like you know working on their stuff? Um, it was just gag cartoons. I sold them to some, um, a couple gags. Um, ah, okay. and yeah, so, you know, like the front of the book used to be called the Fundalini pages. So it was like, you know, gag cartoons and like one-off, um, jokes. Okay. Um, and so I did some work for them, um, with that. And then I, I also drew a couple concepts that they had, oh my God, like a greeting card, like a funny greeting card thing and some other, and some other, uh, some other ideas. Um, and yeah, they were awesome. Just like the best, nicest human beings. Oh, great. I mean, it's someone who grew up flipping through Mad Magazine. It's always good to hear that the people there were mm. great. 
Now you teach as well. That's actually how I found out about、mm-hmm. you because you're teaching a class at the theater that I'm a part of at the Magnet Theater.、Mm-hmm. Uh, have you taken classes there? Um, I haven't, but I have known about the magnet since like its inception.、Um, and actually, like、um, I did a performance there that somebody from Mad Magazine was like in the audience and like came up to me afterwards and he was like, "I'm going to send you like a contributor packet and you should start submitting." Oh wow!、Um, so yeah.、Um, What was the show、uh, that you did? It's a small world. Yeah, it is. It was. Um, it was actually like a, sort of like a book launch thing for my first、um, Lulu Eight Ball、uh, collection. So I basically、um, Eugene Merman did some stand up, and then I sort of like showed cartoons and did some bits.、Um, although, as I recall, I was super drunk, so I would imagine it was not an awesome performance. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it got you some some gigs. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes a girl gets lucky. Yep. Let's talk about your teaching, though. So, when you teach, are you teaching joke writing or are you teaching、uh, comic strip writing? What is it that you、uh, cover in the class?、Um, I primarily teach、um, gag cartooning. So, I I touch on drawing in terms of like how best to use your drawing to sell your joke. I don't、mm-hmm. teach like technique. Um, there are way better teachers out there for that than me,、um, but I teach like you know idea generation and like you know point of view building、um, and you know ways to kind of get over like fear and and blocks pretty much. Okay, that's cool. People should take the class. <laughs> I, I am, hope so. <laughs> what are some of the things for people to overlook, like when they're trying to? Create a comic strip. What are some of the pitfalls that people run into? I think it's really easy to get in your own head about the drawing. I would rather see、um, a an incorrect drawing done with like confidence and style than a beautiful, like a tentatively but technically better rendered drawing.、Um, I also think that people are like, well, I can't draw. You know, so I shouldn't try.、Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I hear people say I can't draw, what I like, what I think they're really saying is like I'm not allowed to draw.、Mm. Um, you know, like it's it's something that they they feel they haven't earned or don't have access to, and that's something that I would like to break down as much as possible. I mean, obviously, not everybody is gonna be like an incredible lyrical like you know drawer, but I think everybody can. You know, if you can if you can make letter forms, you can find a way to make forms that can help sell your joke. Right. That is what I believe. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, everyone can doodle a little bit. Yeah. And I wouldn't be above laughing at a comic strip that's just stick figures. Honestly. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, toothpaste for dinner is basically like. Almost just stick figures. There's like a lot of like web comics out there that, and then sometimes sometimes like the simplicity of the drawing can even help sell the the joke because it's so understated. I mean, again, as long as as you make enough of a person for somebody to kind of like fit their imagination in there,、right. um, I think you can make a successful gag cartoon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, honestly, because you know it is just sort of like placeholders so people see the thing.、Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't,、yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to be this like three、yeah. D rendered thing. 
Exactly, exactly. You know, and like when you really start to get into it, of course, there are like, you know, ways that even within a less than lyrical drawing style, you can, you can refine or make something work, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I just would hate for anybody to be like afraid of draw. I mean, James Server was like literally blind. So, <laughs> wow, and I didn't know that. Are, are some of my favorites, yeah. Wow. Well, then, yeah, then. Well, uh, well severely visually impaired. Right. At least. Right. But you know, that's inspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyone can do this. Can do this work. Right. Uh, I mean. I don't mean it's that that almost makes it sound like I'm disparaging it. <laughs> no, uh, literally. Can do it. <laughs> yeah. Any jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I mean. Well, we've You're reached right. the the end here. It's uh time to create something together and um I think what has uh, an idea that jumps out at me is maybe just uh, breaking down joke creation. Sure. Um I wish I had like a really like multi-step awesome thing to tell you um (laughs) more or less what i do is i sit down and i just start like writing things down and i start kind of branching off from that like you know if i have horses right Mm -hmm. like i try to like branch off like what do i know about horses like what do they look like what are they used for like where Mm -hmm. does one usually find them Mm -hmm. um you know like, what do I like about them? What do people dislike about them? Like, basically looking at it from every possible angle and then trying to branch off from that. Like, okay, if I know they have uh, hooves, like, what can I change about their feet? You know, like, can uh, like, what if they are in sneakers? What if they're in high heels? Like, what if, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just trying to zero in on the aspects that I've listed and mm-hmm. push and pull those aspects. Because I think basically anybody who writes jokes already leans towards like pushing away from like a normal or you know straight point of view. So I think that, but I think that that's like a muscle that can be developed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, just kind of breaking it down to like an intentional thing where you're like trying to, where you're just kind of like falling into a fact and like and experimenting with it and prodding at it is, I think, like the basis of how I start. And I mean there are times when I will sit there and do that and like nothing comes and it sucks. And I just sit there and I have nothing, but then I'll go away. And like, you know, I am not the first person to say this. I'll go do something stupid with my hands, like wash dishes. Mm-hmm. And then ideas will come, you know? Yeah. And, so but if weird. I hadn't done that initial leg work, you know, <laughs> then, you know, if I hadn't like prepared the runway, the joke never would have like, you know, right. to the airport. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where people like, you know, the the blank page can scare people so much, but Mm -hmm. there's stuff up there. Just like, let it let just anything come out. Um, It doesn't have to be fully formed. I mean, that's that's the main Uh thing is just thinking that, uh, especially with joke writing, that it has to be fully formed immediately. But there is a process. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 sculpting in a way. And like, I think you could argue that, you know, in in some ways I almost feel like it's more joke finding than joke crafting, mm-hmm. you know, that like the jokes are, are out there. It's your job to find them and clear away all the dust and debris and like polish them so that they are, you know, fit for presentation, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm interested in this brainstorming idea 
and how it can create a joke. So um, maybe we can kind of go through a process like that and just see what comes of it. Um, sure. Um, you want to, you want to, you want to pick a word? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. How does that work? Does it start with a topic or it, it, just a simple word? Um, you, I often start with just a simple word. Um, Ben Schwartz, not the actor, the cartoonist, and I used to, um, send each other lists of words every week as like a, you know, sourdough starter for our weekly batch. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, like literally just like one word list, like pigeons, feet, clown, you know? Okay. Um, well, how about, so, um, rock? Let's see. Rock? R- like R-O-C-K? Yes. Okay. So basically, you know, you just like write down the word rock in the middle of a piece of paper. And I mean, like everybody has done like this brainstorming thing in elementary school, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rock. Um, and let's see. So there's rock music. There's like igneous rock. Um, how are rocks formed? Um, let's see. What are rocks used for? Mm. Uh, you can um, branching off of that and sing stoning people to death. Uh huh. And then uh, uh, throwing a rock through a window. Exactly. So like, like vandalism. Mm-hmm. Vandalism. Um, let's see. And I mean, so the, like I'm writing down Rock of Gibraltar just because my brain coughed it up, and whether that leads to anything, who knows. Um, Okay. Walter, the Rock. The um, Rock came to my mind almost immediately, and that's and I don't know mm-hmm. if that's a good thing or not. No, I guess I saw him earlier on right. Instagram. So, it's, it's right. <laughs> I think um, his dad just died. Yes, that's exactly um, what it was. That's sad news. Um, that's why uh, it came up. That is sad news. Well, now this is ruined. Um, <laughs> let's, let's see, Rock. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm also thinking, uh, you know, living in a glass house, so don't throw stones, you know, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. Like, absolutely. Um, let's see, like uh, precious rocks, like diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And, you know, this could, you know, this is sort of like a thing where you could, this is a very dopey joke, but, you know, you mm-hmm. could put together, like, the two meanings of it in terms of, like, you have the rock and you have, like, throwing rocks through a window, you know, like, so mm-hmm. if you threw the rock through somebody's window, they might be, like, super happy that you did that because <laughs> he is very attractive. Right. Like, <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, like, that's sort of the start of of something, you know what I mean? Like, right. like taking those two, uh, a, a fresh look at like those two things that don't belong together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something too. I think it's like, you know, one thing that I try to teach is like write a bunch of dumb jokes, like write the dumbest mm-hmm. joke you possibly can. Um, yeah. I'm part of a Facebook group called a um, hundred rejections. And like the goal is to have a hundred rejections by the end of the year. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it's really like, inspiring (laughs) it's it's such a different thing to like you know um submit something like and your goal is to get you know obviously you really want it to be accepted but like Mm -hmm. the idea of racking up 
rejections. Right. Like, you get so much stuff out there. Right. Possible. Right. That's yeah. a really good idea, honestly, because uh, I've heard that with people writing songs of just like, get the idea out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even exactly. if. You know, you can fix the lyric later if it's just a bad lyric, just like get it out. Like, you know, famously Mm -hmm. yesterday was scrambled eggs because it was just a placeholder for the melody, you know. So just get the thing out and even if it's bad and let it be rejected, you know, you can work on it later. It might have been Hemingway who said this. I don't know. But, you know, it's like we we write drunk, we edit hungover. (laughs) Like just (laughs) Get yeah, it out there without like judgment or editing, and then go back in and look at it. Right. Let's see. What else do we have for rock? Or a woman with like the rock actually like sitting on her hand and showing it off to her friend. Like it's the biggest rock you could find. You know, just stupid stuff okay. like that. But like, and I could see the image there. Yeah. So is that some of it with mm-hmm. cartooning, with with making up a comic strip? You have mm-hmm. the joke, and then you think, okay, maybe this one with someone throwing a rock through a glass house is harder for me to visualize, but I can visualize this woman with the rock on her hand and, and her saying that line yeah. that you said. like that. Is, so is that how you make a decision on the direction you're going to go? Um, basically, the decision comes down to, like, did it at least make me give a little inward chuckle? Um <laughs> You know, if I'm if I'm gonna like bother uh, drawing it up and submitting it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know, I mentioned before I started with horses um, a couple weeks ago, which like led me to rodeo and then rodeo clowns and then a joke which I just handed in, so I can't tell it to you, but because they haven't run it yet. <laughs> but um, but you know, you just follow yourself down these little rabbit holes and just see if if anything. If anything, kind of makes you smile, really. Right. Okay. Um, and do you have times where you have a joke that's made you smile and laugh, but it just didn't seem like it could translate visually? Hmm. Like if you've had a couple Not of jokes. Really. Okay. That's that's. I, I wonder if that I could can... happen with me. <laughs> like if there's a joke that I <laughs> I loved and it's like I just don't know how to draw this. I feel like for me the challenge is might be more paring it down to fit into like a snappy caption, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't you know it's you kind of want the caption to not be too wordy and most of my captions is somebody delivering a line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and so there I have plenty of cartoons where it's just like two people sitting at a table talking but one of them says something that's, you know, hopefully funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know if I've necessarily, I can't, nothing springs to mind immediately that I've like thought of and been like, oh God, I just don't know how I would, I would draw that. Cool. Any final thoughts on using brainstorming to create a comic strip? Just the idea that you just sit with it for a little bit longer than feels comfortably, <laughs> you know, that then feels comfortable. Like you don't, you don't have to beat yourself to death with it, but like, Try not to leave the second you feel like there is nothing there. Like push it a little further, and then and then either write down a different word or try something else, et cetera, et cetera. Like maybe put your phone across the room. This is something I really need to work on. I am yeah. way too glued to my phone, um, as we all are. But yeah, it's bad. Such <laughs> <Like, laughs> um, a distract. No, there's plenty of studies that have pointed out having your phone, even if it's just face down and silent 
next to you、mm-hmm. is a huge distraction、yeah. and hurt the productivity of a group they were studying more than the people who put the phone in the other room. Yeah, yeah, it's um, no, it's it's real. Yeah. Like, And even if it's just like 10, 15 minutes, just, you know, get it away from yourself、mm-hmm. and, you know, put your butt in the seat and do this thing. And it will get, you know, it will get easier and it will get more rewarding. Yeah. And, and sit with that idea longer is also very good advice because it can be very easy once, once you've thought of the thing and you've put it as, together as best as you think you can. And it still doesn't seem quite right, it's very easy to just bail on it. So sit with、oh, it、absolutely. for a little bit longer than that. Yeah, exactly. Well, great advice. There it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So awesome having Emily on. If you want to see her work and keep up with her, go to her website, emilyflake.com. She also has a book titled That Was Awkward The Art and Etiquette of the Awkward Hug. And she has a podcast called Nightmares, which you can get on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Follow her on Twitter at Emily Flake and Instagram at eflakeagogo. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our newsletter. It's like self help for comedians. Links in bio. Oh, and that big announcement we have next week's episode. Y'all, y'all, next week's episode. We have improv legend Dave Pesquazy. Yep. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.